Welcome to For the Love of Safety, the show for you health and safety professionals out there, where hosts Justin and Jed talk about their experiences in this fun, frustrating, and rewarding field of occupational health and safety. Let's get to it. So welcome to For the Love of Safety. I am Justin Claven. With me, as always, is Jed Crawford, and we have two very, very special guests with us today uh, to talk about where in the organizational structure we think EHS should fall and kind of the pros and cons for those. Um, So joining us is Kevin Conti. He is the business manager of material logistics and other designated duties for Sikorsky. Um, He's also known as sandbag number three, if he's talking to the test pilots. Kevin, how are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Very good. So Kevin, I did did want the listeners to know that you actually do have a background in EHS. You started out there, right? You have your undergraduate degree from Keene State, and then you kind of wove your way through these organizations, right? That's right. I do. Uh, undergrad from Keene, uh, came down and uh, picked up and, and moved down to uh, our, our Maryland home for a little bit and, and got to spend some time in the ESH world uh, on the on the EHS team and then got to go branch out a little bit. So I got to spend some time in uh, procurement and planning and some quality roles, some program management, uh, a little bit of finance. So uh, done a little bit of a Swiss army knife of roles around kind of a, an operations focused you know, career path, if you will. And also joining us today, we have Ken Klar. He's the senior manager of HR operations for ANSYS. Ken, welcome. Good to be here, guys. Look, we need to let our listeners know for sure on this episode that the four of us work together in the same building with the same company. Let's just get it out <laughs> in the open and clear the air. We're all good friends. We probably want to pick any, pick on each other throughout this entire episode. So you all out there on the listening end of this are just going to have to deal with that. Yes. Yes. This is, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so let's jump right in, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let, let's kick this off. And you know, what, what we want to kind of, we're talking about the, where in the organizational structure of a company EHS falls, and we've seen it in a, in a couple different places. And, um, you know, typically we'll see it kind of either within operations or within HR or, uh, even kind of with quality occasionally. Um, and we've seen them report directly to, to senior managers. We, we've kind of seen them in, in different places as, as I've kind of moved to different organizations. And as a matter of fact, when we were at one of our places, it moved a couple of times, um, you know, bet- between that. Um, so Ken or, or Kevin, have, where have you guys seen it as well? Is there, is there any other place? Uh, HR facilities. Uh, I actually saw it under uh, one of our other sister sites has had it in um, kind of their, their like test department, which is like a dotted line into quality. So I've seen a couple spots. Hmm. Kind of directly into like CEO or general manager of like a facility, right? You like sit on the staff or like in the case of um, a Providence-based organization, you you have like a matrix relationship up in that kind of sits in at the C-suite too. That kind of you got different facilities report into. Yeah, I I I like the matrixed one too. I've actually seen that more more often. 
um, where they're they're kind of they're dotted lined everywhere. Um, that goes up. Jed, what about you? Where have you uh, seen it? So I would say the two biggest places that I've seen it, they exist under operations in some shape or form. You lead up to a senior business leader of some kind that would be squarely in operations, whether we're talking about construction or kind of classical manufacturing. And the other place that I've seen it is in human resources. And I'm not going to sit here just yet and say why either of those or any of these are bad or good, but they do present different challenges that I think EHS professionals have to realize and work through because you're going to run into different roadblocks. And every company likes to think that that's not going to happen, but it does. It's just the reality of it. And you need to know how to address each one of those wherever you might fall under your organizations, which is why we have extra guests on this episode to talk about the differences, hopefully to rail down on helping you kind of see some of those challenges and uh, push it that much further, depending on how your structure is set up. But to answer your question, it's uh, typically where I've seen it. It's framed under some kind of operational role or operations and then uh, human resources kind of by default. Yeah. So it there's there's a plethora of, of, of different options that are out there. Disagree with me, you know, obviously, um, if, if you guys want. But in in my opinion, where you see it fall within an organization directly reflects the priority that that organization puts on it. And I think that's kind of true almost of anything. You know, if you're hiding EHS down underneath something, you know, and it's not getting that that type of visibility up up higher, they probably don't pay a whole lot of attention to it, right? Outside of what they need to, because either, you know, if someone gets seriously injured and OSHA comes, I think then then maybe they would care. But otherwise it kind of you know, it kind of gets put put off to the side. Um what do you guys think about about that? Agree, disagree, stay neutral. Yeah, I would say it, there's a lot of variations to that, right? It's the part of it depends on, on where you're working, right? We kind of hit on a couple of them there. You, you know, a construction industry is it a manufacturing plant? I mean, they're going to have different needs and different support than say a uh, like software applications company where there's people not necessarily swinging hammers and welding things or running large machinery, it's going to require a different level of EHS support. So I'll agree with you to a point that, um, you know, maybe that it it does get buried at times or it can get buried. Um, But I think it also depends on, on kind of the industry you're in and, and maybe it's a, there's a different reason for why it got put into the the department it's in or the reporting chain that it got put into um, just based on, like you said, it's a, they, they really don't deal with large uh, catastrophic type injuries or events or, or potentially very dangerous situations. So it, it could just be simply a lack of understanding, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be, well, just go stick it over there. That person's took a class on it once. Maybe, maybe that's where it goes. Um, you know, maybe it's more of a, we're just checking a compliance box, right? We have to have this department, put it over there um, as opposed to kind of a seat at the table. So uh, I, I think depending on where you work, depending on the industry, the product lines you work on or support or customers, uh, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on that one, I guess. It, it could go anywhere. 
I think maybe that's where I disagree a bit too. I think there's enough correlation to say that generally speaking, that's the way it would work is the way you think about EHS is kind of where it falls within the organization. But I do think it's largely dependent on the leadership team and leaders and the culture of the organization. And regardless of where it sits in the organization, if it's one organization or one function or another, I think there's a lot to be said about how people view it as a just a matter of who the organization is. And I think every leader is going to have their twist on it, as Kevin mentioned, right? And, and whether it makes sense for different priorities that the business has to put it under one group or another. But I'm, I'm less concerned about, I guess, right now where it sits specifically. And it's more about what the, you know, the culture overall, right? And the, and the leadership team, I think. The other part to, to go off of Ken there a little bit too, to see where it falls in the organization also kind of talks to how the EHS team is valued or the individual or department, whatever you may be, your, your group may be called. So I, I have a mentor that uh, he, he gave me three things that always stick with me. And it, it comes down to your visibility, your influence, and your support. So so on this conversation, I think this fits in well. All right. So your visibility, are, are you just showing up when something bad happens? Or are you always there? And are you kind of looked at as the team player, someone who who comes to the table with new ideas or new conversations, or you're you're not an unfamiliar face, right? You're you're constantly out there, right? The the influence side of it is, can you get your opinion across or get your two cents in in the right way at the right time? Are you interjecting yourself correctly? And do you have enough kind of clout to have people stop and listen to you and understand what's going on? And then the support side of it, it really comes down to if you're doing the other two correctly, you're going to be supported in what you're doing. So those are kind of three things I, I think play in well to this conversation because it's not just where it falls, but how is that team valued is going to dictate where it falls. I don't disagree with what you guys say. You, you're absolutely right. Where you fall in the organization is not the the end all to the success of what it is. I, I guess the point that I was trying to make is if you are doing everything right, if you're if you are visible, if you're out on the floor, if you are trying to make a difference, where you f- your ability to effectuate change can directly dif- can directly be affected by which leadership you fall underneath. Right. Because you're if that leader is unable to make business level decisions, you have to convince possibly three, four, five, you know, levels up from that. Um, however, let's say if you do report up to that side and you're not out there on the floor, like Kevin was saying, or you're not influencing. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are because you're not making yourself valuable. Really good points and insight of looking into organizationally, how EHS uh, always sits at the table because there is a kind of personification of the uh, the function that I'm going to take here. Just But the fact that you two said what you said in the way that you said it, it always has a seat at the table. It's just whether or not the organization is mature enough to see it and whether or not you have a warm body to take care of it. So whether or not you are just looking at a compliance issue because you said, oh, crap, uh, we, we crammed out this new business product and we didn't realize we had needed to have an air permit 
Uh, now we got to deal with that. Maybe we deal with that with a nice regulator who helps us go through that, or maybe we deal with that by a by the book kind of person, and we get crammed through this and we kind of learn our lesson the hard way. Or you have a progressive organization that says to you know kind of to Kevin's point there on visibility, influence, and support. You know, you if you have those things, they're going to kind of naturally fall in. Um, I would even say influence will probably get you the furthest, then support, and then visibility. Because if you're supported from the very highest levels of the organization, they're going to expect it. And that's where I think you see it just saying it has a seat at the table because it will inevitably have a seat at the table, whether or not you manage it correctly or not. Um, In some cases, it's going to have a seat at the table when you mismanage it. But I think the special part of it is seeing when you do have those things working together. And so Ken made a point that he said, like, I'm not so much concerned about where it sits right now, but basically, is it is it there? Is it being talked about? Is it being valued? Uh, that's where we want to get to. My argument is going to be, unless you have, and you guys both kind of spoke to this, which is why I thought it was really good. Unless you have some kind of fundamental understanding of what evaluates a zero and a one, what evaluates risk? And does that perception of risk get communicated down from the very top to the very bottom? Unless you have a consistent approach at that, then I don't know that it's ever really going to have a true seat at the table. I think it there comes to a point, in my opinion, you must have a consistent understanding of risk. Because if you have so many different leaders, especially leaders, communicating three or four different ways to talk about risk, there's a wonderful, you know, it's awesome to have three or four different kinds of ideas to solve a solution and let the best one win. Parts of different ones come together. That's all great. But you have to have an objective sense to evaluate risk when it comes to EHS. And I would say any business risk, if we're talking about business continuity, you have to have an objective sense to look at that. And if you don't have that, then I think it really does start to be a big deal where it fits in the organization. Because to Justin's point, if you have to fight that fight and beat through someone's head two, three, four times before it gets to the person that you actually need to make a business decision, that's a pretty laborious task. And it could, it just doesn't need to be there. In my opinion, it doesn't need to be there. But not every organization is that mature. Not every organization is there. And it takes time to build that. But would you agree, Jeb, that it's a bit of a chicken and an egg situation? So like if I'm leading an organization, my expectation is that my leaders come to me with good business cases, sound justification, good data to build the business case for why it's important and help me validate that there's that, that there's a, a rationale and a good reason to pay attention to it. It's like from an HR perspective, we shouldn't just expect to have a seat at the table just because we should, right? It's like, I should show that value to you and you should therefore, you know, you know, be motivated and inclined based on that. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the part, the long-winded part of me trying to say, if you have the person to, to Kevin's points of that tripartite view of professional success, if you have the person that can understand the nuances to be able to present then that business case to the senior leader who then can say, he can understand the aggregates of all those things and saying, yep, the, the ducks line up here. I understand that. And you're certainly going to get the support that you need. I totally agree. It's having the person that can that can put those pieces together when it comes to EHS to present to then to a business leader. I, I would totally agree. I mean, that's I think that's needed of any 
function. And so I think it's a point well said. It's not just, I'm an EHS person. Where's my seat? Or I'm an HR person. Where's my seat? It is, no, here's a real problem. Here's a real risk. Here's how to objectively look at that problem and risk. Now here are the solutions. And then let the business leader do the job of a business leader, which is why Justin made the point, and I agree, the most important thing in all of this probably, as far as EHS goes, when it comes to the organizational structure, is you have to have some kind of direct line to the person at the top or the person who is able to make business decisions. Yeah, and I, I don't... Th- we're kind of um, we're kind of hitting on a on a couple different points because, you know, in general, I think it is true that the priorities of the uh, where it falls within the organization reflect the f- priorities of the business. The reason the business prioritizes it the way that it is, I think, is a different conversation because that can either be because the EHS people have not done a very good job of of having that business case of explaining, you know, what their value is to the business. Or you have a leader that, in all honesty, just doesn't get it. Um, and before before you guys all all got to um, to where we were, you know, I, I that's that's kind of how it was. We just had leadership that just did not understand it, and then we were fortunate to get a leader that freaking got it and got it, and you know, moved that organization because he. He wanted to make sure that it was it, it had a it had a more prominent position. Now I he didn't give us a break, right? And I, I think we all know who I'm who I'm talking about here. He didn't give us a break. If I wanted anything, you better believe that I better have data. I better have it better make sense and there better be a business case associated with that. But he made sure that if those components were there, that he could effectuate the change because of the level that it was at. Now, that's not to say that it's not impossible, right? Um, if 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 an EHS person finds themselves in this different part of the organization, it's not impossible to um, to get done what they need to get done by showing that business case. Ken, like you were saying, going from you know to the leadership and saying this is what makes sense. Um, but I think it gets it gets harder to get through that bureaucracy because you have to go through so many people who have different opinions. And then you have to worry about whether or not that leader wants what you want because it's good for them. <laughs> you know, they're undercurrents of, of, of their own career, or if it's truly what's best for the organization too. So Ken and Kevin, have you ever seen that an example of that though? Um, Cause Justin and I can probably point to specific examples, but just coming you know, just from you two, have you ever seen where there has been a, in your personal careers, and you don't have to name names or companies or anything, but your personal careers where organizational red tape or fluff or, you know, bureaucracy has led to a stifled EHS decision, even from a gut level that you all know should have been done, should have been acted on, could have been done, um, perhaps a little bit better. Any examples? And it's okay if you don't. I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, the the gut check like you, you've talked about, I mean, right. So I've had a, a pretty cool opportunity to have that EHS background and go through several different departments within several different organizations. Um, so it's it's been really cool to 
have that EHS mindset, like right, we've talked about a little bit already, right? Understand, you know, risk from a different perspective. Um, when I've entered into, you know, different financial roles of the business, you get to see risk from different ways and, and understand some of the finance side of it. But to your point of from a, a gut check point, does it does it pass that test? And and I could probably say every single week that I've gone to work in every single company, there's been at least one moment where that gut check flag goes off for that doesn't seem right. And 99% of the time, I'll at least go over and just, you know, Hey, what are you guys doing? What, what, what are we working on? Why are we doing it this way? Um, I, I will probably say I'm maybe one of the, uh, the lesser of the folks that, that may go do that of the majority. Um, but I think that just comes down to that, you know, different mindset or, or different ability to see that. Uh, but then it's interesting to, to kind of step back and say, well, okay, well, who else was in the room with me and why was I the only one to say something? Yeah. Um, so to kind of your point there, it's, yeah, I mean, we see it all the time yeah. and it's, it's how you react to it or, or even more importantly, how you don't, um, sometimes, but it's, it's definitely there in, in all levels of the organization, uh, in all different departments. It's very interesting to see who does or who does not, you know, say something, do something, uh, whether it's, you know, on the floor and there's a, a simple little puddle of water and who's going to mop it up to, who's signing off on some policy procedure or signing up for some program that we, that we know is, you know, incorrect, or it has some, some major consequences to it. And were they uh, maybe not smart enough, isn't the right word, but they were they intellectual enough to get all of the right people at the table to have the conversation before the decision mm. was made. Mm. Um, and I, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yeah. No, that's Ken, good. do you have any thoughts? I, I was just going to react to your to your comment, Kevin, about you found yourself a little bit in the minority of that specific example you gave, right? Where you kind of stepped up and said something or asked the questions. And I think that maybe like hits on the point of where I was going at earlier, which is it, that wasn't a matter of you being a part of the operations organization or the procurement or the HR or the finance organization. That was Kevin Conti as an individual leader asking the right questions. And you've got other people on the other side who didn't do that for one reason or another. And so I guess that's kind of why I see it a little bit less in terms of specific function of the organization and more about all these in the inner workings of all these people and what they believe in and what they value and um, what they're prioritizing every minute changes. And so, I don't know, maybe I feel like I'm kind of cutting into the, the question we're trying to answer and maybe I'm trying to um, deviate a little bit and saying it's not, it's not really about the organization's place uh, or structure in the organization. It's more about the people and the leadership and the culture. But I think that example you gave was um, kind of spoke to the fact that it showed itself when you were going through it. I think that's an excellent comment. And but I would I would also use that as an argument to say that it is important in some respects because I want to be sure that I do say one hundred percent. I agree with the principle that it should be more of a value proposition 
everybody should be doing this because everybody should be doing this. If the priority changes, our ability to assess the priorities shouldn't. We, we understand things change every day, but our, our sensibilities, our approaches, none of that should change. You know, if it is changing, then we have lost all objective footing and we can't make a true business decision. We have to maintain some kind of rigidity in the course of changing priorities all the time. Uh, but if, because I love I love the comment. Yeah, I mean, if the leadership and, and the culture and all that is there, that's true. And this is why I just think out of experience, I can point to an organization that I've been a part of where the uh, there are some operational leaders where Kevin could be the guy again comes up sees this sees this problem and this probably actually speaks to uh, visibility and support Kevin but let's say Kevin sees a sees a, a problem goes up has a conversation and then goes to a some kind of a leader brings up the problem maybe you have a couple people talking about it if you, in certain cases, maybe not all cases, but in certain cases, if the situations are right or wrong, depending on your perspective, and that conversation happens, but it doesn't go high enough to be able to drive the throughput action that needs to happen because the right person didn't get a seat at the table, so to speak, just to borrow the phrase, then that problem might actually never get fixed or it would take two, three times before it would arise to the right occasion. I've actually seen that. Um, I mean, I've personally dealt with it to where I say, hey, look, here's a regulatory problem. I'm open for ideas. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's get the best one here, but we can't do it this way. We will not do it this way. Oh yeah, we got to get that fixed. That's a great idea. That's a great catch. Let's get that fixed. Middle manager. And, you know, even, even going so far as to commit resources, nothing happens. Come back around. Okay. Do you need my help? No, we got it. We got it. We got the solution. Nothing happens. Where's my solution? You know, we're, we're, I thought we were taking care of this. So I just, I'm not saying that's all cases. So I agree if the, if the leadership is there, but they've got to be there. They have to either know they have to be able to see those particular exposures and risks. You know, I just want to make sure that those business leaders are involved in, I've just seen where it got, it's been stifled in the past and it's frustrating for EHS folks. And I think your frustration, Jed, could be summed up in the, the simplest example of replace that regulatory challenge with a 10 cent washer that's going to make you miss the month end deliverable. And you're going to have a senior vice president standing at a receiving dock waiting for the washer. And, and that's the, probably the best summary of that frustration that you feel. <laughs> so perfect. It's, it's funny too, because it, I kind of thought that, that, that this may happen, you know, that, because the, where you lie in the organization, even though it, it sounds like we all do believe it's important, but it also sounds like it's just one tiny, tiny piece of, of being successful. Because if you're not doing those things that you need to do, if you don't have the proper leadership, if you know, you're, you're not proving your business cases, 
all of this stuff factors in and it, there's not a silver bullet solution. So I, I think it's important to kind of recognize that as an EHS professional, one, you need to evaluate, um, you know, where your program is, figure out where you want to take it and then look at what's around you and figure out how, how you can leverage where you are to get there or how you can, you can kind of shore up against that, you know, kind of do a SWOT analysis, right? Figure out what you're going to do to, um, how, how you're going to, uh, you, um, take advantage of those, of those strengths and, and opportunities and how you're going to, um, to try to reduce the risk associated with the, um, with the threats and the, um, you know, the weaknesses within the organization, um, and then do your best to kind of navigate that through, uh, and don't think that just because you get moved up and report underneath this new vice president, it's going to fix everything. Cause if you're not out on the floor, if you're not engaging leadership, or if you have a weak leader, um, that you can't get to do something, you know, you're, you're still going to have the same problems that you have. Oh, yeah. is, is that, is that so. kind of a fair, fair statement there? I guess I would maybe just as the non EHS, you know, point of view here, I would, I would maybe say that same opinion is shared across different groups. Like from a finance perspective, if there's an accounting principle, that's not in compliance with gap, you have some financial accountant who's looking at the books and saying, you know what, this isn't quite right. You've got a CFO who reports up to the CEO. It's not a matter of whether they're, on you know at the seat at the table it's kind of how that hierarchy behaves um adherence to kind of the principles of what's what's right um but i I keep as as we're talking about this i'm kind of thinking about different examples too from from other parts of the organization who might feel similarly but then at the end of the day it's um it's a it's a matter of injury prevention and making sure people get home to their family in the same way they left them. So there's a, the, the stakes are, are a, a bit different too. I think the stakes are a bit different, but I also like where you're going with that uh, because it's something that Justin and I have talked about, or at least tried to talk about. Uh, there are so many functions in a healthy business and the best EHS people realize that they are a part of a healthy business or are a part of a, of a business, which means there's other people, there's other things going on. Um, there other, like you just brought up, Ken, there's other people have problems too. And this is, it's, it's something if, if you don't recognize and, and maybe if I were to phrase it, have a little bit of humility with, I think you end up losing ears you know, people, if you're not, if you're not willing to recognize that other people and other functions have some of the same kind of characteristic challenges, um, why would they necessarily listen to you? Yes. Granted, if we have some kind of awful safety exposure, that's not, that could cost somebody their life. I mean, yeah, that's huge, but I think that's an excellent point. And EHS people, especially our listeners do not let that go unchecked in your mind. And you know, that's, I just think it makes for a healthier business. It's going to make you a stronger player no matter what, for sure. So I think that's, I think that's a great point. Yeah, definitely has to. I mean, when you, right, you're, you've become a successful EHS department team individual when, when it's collaborative, right? So it's not one of those 
uh, you're forcing stuff down people's throat or you're, you're, you know, pounding your fist because you didn't get that seat at the table. But, you know, when, when people are coming up to you instead and saying, Hey, we have this project, we have this program, we have this challenge we think we're going to have before they've even done anything right before they put the ladder on top of the scissor lift and are standing there with a 10 foot pole. Right. When they call you ahead of time and say, here's what we're trying to solve for. Like you said, Jed, it's that humbling, these guys are stuck. I need to go help. And, and how can I do that? And it's, you know, you can't just walk in there and say no, right? Because they, they have a deadline they have to meet. They're, yep. They have their internal stuff that they have to yep. do. So as long as you go into that with that, you know, idea of everyone else has problems too. We're, we're all trying to solve each other's collective issues. Uh, that's where you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, and and when you do that, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter where you fall in the organization. The fact you're getting the phone call, you're getting tapped on the shoulder, the IM, the the whatever it is to say, come help. Um, you know, you've won when you've gotten that ahead of time versus the, hey, you know, Jimmy fell down and, and is missing a leg now. Uh, come fix it, it right? Too late. <laughs> Uh, at least you're, you get that seat at that table, whether it's, you know, in that little scenario or the fact that you're even thought about and, and someone says, hold on a second, let's, let's go pull in someone else. Let's get a new set of eyes. Let's get a different opinion. Um, you know, the fact that someone else is realizing they're, they don't have that viewpoint that's needed or they don't have that, um, different set of perspective that that's going to help make whatever the, the business is trying to do better, um, and they, and they tap you, that, that's a win. Yep. Well said. Absolutely. We want to wrap it up here. So we had some good talk over this whole discussion about EHS and where it fits in the organization. We certainly want to first and foremost, thank Ken and Kevin for joining us on this episode. Thank you guys very, very much. It was good to talk again. You know, we started with talking about how EHS traditionally falls within the organization. It can be in many spots. We then laid out what we think is most crucial and, and really making sure that you have uh, at least a pipeline to a leader or leaders who can make business decisions and helping you advance the EHS you know, objectives and goals throughout the entire organization. And through the conversation that we had, this is something that's really good and hopefully is good for our listeners. You know, for especially from Ken and Kevin's perspective, you don't always have to be tripped up on maybe where it, it sits today as long as the discussions are being had to make sure that the objectives and targets for EHS are being taken care of. Namely, are people going home safely? Is the organization growing in its ability to handle even matters of EHS, if not all functions, just a little bit more mature than they did yesterday? From the very most senior leader that helps sign those decisions and push these actions through down to the newest of the new hire. You know, it should be the same approach all the way through, consistent all the way through. So hopefully this will help you all out there listening to this episode, trying to maybe even at the end of the day, make EHS just a little bit more robust in your organization. Remember, there's a lot of other functions out there too. Everybody has problems. Just be that person that shows up and is always out there ready to help. Justin and I really believe in that. I think Ken and Kevin do as well. Again, we thank our guests. And we will take a break for the love of safety. We'll be taking a break for the holiday season. And we'll see you guys in 2022. Down in January. Thank you guys again. And there you have it, folks. 
Thanks for tuning in to For the Love of Safety. You may always reach out to either Justin or Jed by email at fortheloveofsafety at gmail.com. That's the number four, the love of safety at gmail.com. Health and safety is fun. It's frustrating, but it is so rewarding. We'll see you again soon here at For the Love of Safety.